It's the Smart Driving Cars Podcast, your source for the latest on self-driving, driverless, and smart transportation technology. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Good to talk to you again, Alan. Uh, It's great. I had a nice two-week vacation. Uh, We still did the podcast last week, and we're doing this one, so uh, it goes forward. Absolutely. Well, there are questions being raised about the future of the self-driving car unit at Uber. According to the information.com website, uh, Uber has been spending as much as $200 million per quarter over the last year and a half or so on that unit. And there's some pressure, as you can imagine, from investors. I guess there is. There's, there should be pressure on them getting the work done. <laughs> and um, uh, But uh, they're between, uh, as I like to say, uh, a rock and a hard place. Uh, uh, I think they have to be in it to win it. Because if they don't win this, then one really has to question what is the, what is the ultimate or the growth strategy for Uber. Uh, yes, um, having uh, chauffeured services uh, on a, uh, obtained by an app uh, is a great uh, business, but, uh, but it doesn't really scale. Uh, and that business is an enormous jeopardy if, uh, if now there's a competition in which you can offer uh, the same service uh, without needing a, uh, a human chauffeur. And the, um, the competitive advantage that you have uh, at that point are, are really two important competitive advantages. One is a competitive advantage on price uh, because, of course, uh, a major component of the cost element of this is the labor cost of the, of the driver. But the other big component is, is on the ability to perform. And so um, if, if your ability to perform is not dependent on an algorithm that does the uh, management and distribution and deployment and utilization of vehicles that are, that are commanded by computers, that's almost a trivial operation. Uh, and, and a very inexpensive operation to do, as opposed to marshalling individuals uh, to provide uh, the service uh, at the places where it's needed, at the times where it's needed. So the advantage of automation in this business uh, has two fundamentally important elements to it. One has to do with just fundamental cost, and the other has to do with the ability to perform. And so, um, in a sense, um, yes, uh, Uber is a very valuable product uh, because of its uh, customer, the customers that it has out there and its customer presence. Uh, But um, uh, that number of customers is really limited uh, if you have to continue delivering that uh, with human operators and a human in the loop. Uh, whereas if one's doing it with um, basically with algorithms, uh, it is, it is uh, an enormously uh, strong uh, competitor. Uh, so you're going to get your butt kicked. Uh, 
so in a sense, uh, Uber has to be in this business. And uh, the other element of it is, is that, well, they could, you can always make or buy. Uh, but in this situation, I'm not sure that you really do have a make or buy uh, opportunity. Because if you don't make it, you're really going to have to pay for it when you buy it. Because what you're buying is, is a, a production machine, a, 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 something that is, that is printing money. And if you're buying a, a, a machine that prints money, uh, then, uh, boy, you're going to have to pay for uh, not what it costs to produce the machine, uh, but for the money it, produ- it produces uh, if you don't produce it yourself. Uh, so, therefore, in this business, I think that you don't really have the maker, the fundamental maker buy opportunity. You really have to make it. And uh, he or she that makes it is then going to put it in production and capture the benefits by using it. And so, uh, you know, they have to be in it. I don't know who would sell it to them at a at a at a uh, co- at cost price or a cost plus markup or cost plus margin. Uh, Waymo won't because they're setting themselves up to operate. Uh, and we'll talk about Ford in a minute. Uh, you know, Ford doesn't look like, in terms of all their discussion, they're not only talking about making it, they're talking about, again, using it and, and using it as a productive machine, as a, as a cash generator. Uh, so they aren't going to um, uh, uh, sell it or to Uber. And uh, General Motors, uh, again, in um, what they put out there, it doesn't look like they'll be in the, say, sell it to Uber and let them make money off of it. So um, in a sense, they're stuck. Uh, they're stuck that they have to make it. Otherwise, um, I don't know. They don't have a very bright future. What you're saying is that it doesn't look like there are many opportunities for partnerships for them. I don't think there are. I don't, I don't think there are. They, they, you know, this... Because uh, I, I just, I don't see it. Maybe somebody else sees it. Maybe they see it. But, uh, but if, I, if I have an entity that, that, uh, that basically uh, generates cash, um, I'm only going to sell it uh, or partner with somebody if they give me uh, the equivalent uh, in the cash that it would generate. And so uh, if you have to pay that much for it, uh, what's your you know, value add to the process, there isn't any. Um, the value add you might look to, to Uber is say, well, uh, they have, uh, they're operating in these cities, they have some customers, uh, but the some customers is just at the beginning of this. You know, they have, you know, 1% of the people out there. Uh, they don't have 10, 15% uh, or, you know, a, a substantially large percentage. Uh, and in the places where they've gone in and, and established a market, they, they haven't made a lot of friends. Uh, so you wonder, oh my goodness, uh, uh, somebody might be just willing to, to uh, let somebody else come in there and operate, especially if now you can, you can both operate it at a, at a uh, more affordable price and provide better and, and more reliable reliable service. And if you can do that, then 
my goodness, uh, uh, you just crushed the competition. Well, you mentioned Ford, and they have a goal of developing a self-driving vehicle to deploy widely by 2021. Uh, the CEO of that effort has sent a report to the Department of Transportation and titled it A Matter of Trust. What are some of the takeaways you got from that letter, Alan? Well, uh, you know, the, the Ford and, and where they they seem to be headed and, and, and what their <clears throat> public pronouncements have been, have been have been really to do driverless. I mean, they call it self, self-driving. Uh, in our terminology, we call this driverless. This is to put vehicles out there that, impro- that provide mobility and that are able to, uh, to uh, provide mobility to you, Fred, and get you to where you're going and then be able to go without a driver from after they, they drop you off to come pick me up. And so that's the, the real fundamental mobility benefit uh, of, of drivers. And in their, in their report, I mean, to give them credit, they realize, as we've said here many times, Fred, that safety is paramount. Uh, this has to, whoever's playing in this has to do it safely. Uh, Uber over the past year reminded us how just having one safety screw up just completely uh, discombobulates you. I mean, it's, it's basically almost puts you out of business. Uh, so safety is absolutely paramount. And I think in terms of my own personal view, uh, once you have the algorithm such that they are safe, they're not the ones that are causing the crashes. They're not the ones that are at fault. They're not the ones that came up short. Once you have them doing that, then in fact, they, they are safe. Uh, now, still, somebody can go and T-bone you, and physics doesn't help you, and they came out of nowhere, but that's their fault. You're still safe, if that, if, at least in my definition of safe. So once you establish this, then in some sense, gangbusters out here, then, then you can do almost anything within the confines of the of this scenario where you've established the this, this safety. And so having Ford out there really putting out there what is a public-facing document, uh, emphasizing safety, I think they deserve a lot of credit. They also deserve an enormous amount of credit in what they put out there is, is because they, they meticulously describe a lot of elements that go around safety, including cybersecurity and, and so on. And so that's very good. Uh, but um, as with most things, um, nothing's perfect. Uh, to me, their real shortcoming is is that uh, while they are, and I should say the other important element uh, that they put in there is their view that uh, they're not going to sell this to consumers. This is not a vehicle that, uh, that uh, you and I, normal people, are going to buy. This is a vehicle that is going to be purchased by a fleet who's going to use then that, that this productive asset, as we were talking, talking about with respect to Uber, to really produce mobility. And that's the real value of, of this asset. It, it improves the quality of life for many people, not just its owner. And I think their focus on that is, is, is spot on, and, and I applaud them on that. 
the, the shortcoming is as I read it, I don't see that they they see using this in a shared ride uh, uh, concept or when the shared ride opportunity exists, really uh, make this a real, a real productive machine so that in fact, just offering you a ride, it offers us both you and, and uh, me a ride and at the same time because we happen to be going from about the same place to about the same place at about the same time. They haven't gotten sort of this public mobility, public transit concept of this. And, and it's, it's kind of a shame because there are opportunities, uh, certainly so-called peak hour, peak direction, uh, where there's a congestion. Why is there congestion? Because a lot of people want to go from about the same place to about the same place at about the same time. And it doesn't mean that you're going to not put a lot of people in each vehicle, probably just put two or three. Uh, and, and if you do two or threes, uh, in the peak hour, then basically that solves congestion, that solves energy, that solves pollution, uh, and that, that really improves affordability without really substantially detracting from the level of service that's being offered, except for the fact that you don't happen to be riding alone. So I guess, what do you do when you ride alone? You pick your nose and you don't see anybody else picking, see you pick your nose. I don't know why you want to ride alone so much. But anyway, it's uh, the, the automobile business for the last hundred plus years has been selling this. Uh, you can have this mobility to be able to be alone and travel alone. Um, that's how they sold cars, uh, and they can't seem to get away from that one. So, uh, but short of that, short of, of doing the uh, of, of the focus on on really providing mobility to everyone and providing it efficiently and really affordably and taking advantage of the opportunities that exist in in uh, in higher demand congested corridors, origins, destinations, however we want to call them. Except for that, I think it's a really good report. I guess the message there is rides should be shared. Don't be picky. Right, and don't be selfish. My goodness. I mean, going back to the same place probably has something in common. You can afford to say hi, you know, how are you? And then, you know, bury your face in your phone. I mean, whatever. <laughs> uh, you'll have the privacy that way. It, it just it's it continues to surprise me how the how the automobile OEMs just haven't gotten that piece of it. But maybe I'm just the weird guy that that, that um, is just too um, uh, too focused on that. It's with respect to the ride sharing that we get the the really public benefits out of this. Uh, you get the public benefits out of sharing energy, sharing pollution sharing uh, um, uh, capacity on a roadway and, and uh, as opposed to uh, selfishly using the energy, the pollution, and, and the capacity. And I think that that is, a, that is uh, an enormously valuable public spirit in this, and, and, uh, and we should promote it. Well, another company that you focus on in the, in the latest newsletter is Tesla. Uh, there's a lawsuit and SEC investigation now following Elon Musk's tweet about wanting to take the company private. 
Well, you know, poor Elon. I mean, he's been working. He's been working so hard. He's been saying that he's been doing 110, 120 hour weeks, and um, at least uh, from all the public promotion that he puts out, he must be doing 110, 120 hour weeks. And so maybe he went a little bit too far with one of his tweets. I mean, you know, it it does. It's certainly um, uh, when he puts a, a potential price out there of 420 bucks and, and sort of implies that, uh, yes, uh, you know, somebody is really uh, is, is serious about, uh, about uh, paying that. Um, I think that, um, you know, the SEC uh, uh, wants to make sure that that's not uh, just uh, pumping and dumping. And, uh, and of course, the short sellers are out there, uh, they're scared to death because who knows what, if the price goes up to 420, I mean, they've got, <laughs> uh, their short bets are, are pretty bad bets. And they're, they're sitting out there, especially, you know, if you're playing the shorts, at some point, uh, you just have to come up with cash uh, to buy it at those prices. And, um, and uh, it, that can be extremely um, um, uh, difficult if you haven't made the bet in the right direction. So you can imagine all the short sellers out there lining up, and as soon as he makes some pronouncement like that, ready to go after him. So poor Elon. Um, uh, anyway, uh, he's a great promoter. He's a great visionary. Um, and um, it's amazing what he's been able to accomplish. And this weekend, he's talking about trying to get uh, uh, a Tesla, an entry-level Tesla, down to $25,000 or so. Sure, of course. I mean, yeah, why don't get it down to $2,500? I mean, you know, why just stop at $25,000? But, uh, yes, um, um, and and to to have the visions and to push for those visions are appropriate. Uh, And uh, I think that the, the... but once once you put a, a number down on a, on a stock price, uh, things get a little bit um, dicier. But yes, and he's building tunnels and he's he's doing hyperloops and and my goodness, as I think I've mentioned in the podcast before, his his vision of how to go to Mars um, is certainly the best one that I've heard in fifty years. And so, um, uh, and at one time, um, I was all wound up and part of those who wanted to go to Mars um, in the late 60s. But, uh, uh, but certainly his vision and how to accomplish that is, is, is really intriguing and uh, um, might have also have some amount of credibility. So go for it, Elon. Yeah, you, may, you mentioned the tunnel. He's, he announced the plans of his boring company. And I love the name of that. Uh, announced plans to build a three-mile tunnel uh, that could transport passengers in Los Angeles to Dodger Stadium in four minutes, using this uh, transportation system. And in, uh, in I guess what what amounts to cars that that are lo- being likened to electric skates that can hold between eight and sixteen people. So, uh, and he's saying it can be done pretty quickly. So, <laughs> I guess. Well, he- you know. Uh, whatever. I mean, to solve uh, a point A to point B problem is, is, 
is whatever. Uh, you know, it, it, it's it's it solves one specific problem. Is it generalizable to to solve a substantial amount of mobility? Uh, no, unfortunately. Um, uh, so, in a specific instance, maybe I don't know what the what the um, uh, geology is in that quarter between those two. I mean, maybe you could just uh, get a bunch of moles who could, can dig the tunnel with their teeth. And I, I think that's the way moles dig tunnels. Maybe that's <laughs> not correct. I believe myself. But sure, if, if, if the geology is right, bore a tunnel. Uh, hopefully there aren't uh, a bunch of utilities and so on underground that you have to do. If, if this boring company is so good, I just wish they would come to Princeton and, and bore some tunnels so we could get rid of the overhead wire. So every winter when there's a, you know, a nice storm brings down some trees, uh, you know, it doesn't bring down the wire. So, um, uh, go for it. But, um, uh, digging tunnels, um, I don't know, um, uh, that's always been a, a, a potential solution. It's just that uh, it ends up being ha- having some details associated with it, which are tough. I mean, what I love about the, the, the driverless car is, is the opportunity to, to really focus on the, uh, let's call it the artificial intelligence uh, that goes into uh, safe driving. And, and make that work on a single vehicle. Because if you can make it work on a single vehicle, uh, the, the, the reproduction cost of that, of that technology is essentially zero. Uh, you can copy the software for essentially zero. And the hardware that you use, you realize most of it is Moore's Law-ish. And therefore, it, it scales well. And you can expect the cost of those components to come way down. And so, therefore, you can, by, by focusing on the one, uh, you can solve the many problem. Uh, focusing on the one of boring a tunnel from point A to point B in L.A., I don't think generalizes. It, 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 it's doable, maybe, <laughs> just because of the specific geology that happens to be under there. Uh, but all of a sudden you put that somewhere else and then you have to worry about whether or not you're, you're crossing who knows what uh, geodetic line and, and so on and earthquakes and, and, and well, uh, whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the earthquakes I, come I, to I mind. I wish you luck, but it, it's, it's not my daily wick. The 2025AD.com site has an interesting piece titled, Which Car Makers Will Survive the New Mobility? It talks about a bunch of things, including the end of car makers as we we know them. We've been talking about Ford a little bit. The author of this is Alex Roy, who we got to hear uh, from at the Princeton Smart Driving Car Summit last spring. Yeah, I think Alex put together a very nice article here, and and I think it's it, it's there's a lot of food for thought in there. Um, uh, this is a this mo- focusing on mobility for many uh, is is a different uh, market for uh, the automobile companies, and so um, uh, it, it 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 is disruptive, and 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 unless. Uh, uh, there is substantial change in, in the basic philosophies. It will be tough for them. 
So that's why you see Ford basically setting up a separate unit focused on that to allow, as I think I've written before, the, the legacy unit focusing on F Ford 150 so that we can haul stuff and, and letting this other unit go after this, this new mobility market. And then that new mobility market that Adam Jonas has been talking about for years now is, you know, this $10 trillion a year market uh, that is really agnostic in terms of, of, of what is providing it as long as the, as the mobility is being provided at an affordable price um, uh, sets itself up for enormous disruption. So you see, you see, uh, uh, you can see how Alex then develops this and say, oh my goodness, uh, the legacy automaker of, of basically selling you a vehicle in a dealership that you end up owning, being responsible for uh, not only its maintenance, <clears throat> but its liability uh, in the sense if anything goes wrong, it's your fault. Uh, uh, to uh, then uh, say, oh my, oh my goodness, now mobility is going to be provided by this entity who's going to accept all that responsibility. And in fact, it's going to have done its work so well and dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's uh, to make it safe uh, is, uh, is a completely different business. So, you know, it's, it's as different uh, from Blockbuster to Netflix you know, it's it's one of those changes, or you know, from the, from film to a CCD chip. These these are really disruptive. Uh, you know, from a dialing phone to a to an iPhone. This is that, and that's why there's so much money and so much interest, and that's why Fred, you and I do the podcast. <laughs> this is this is the beginning of what may very well be an enormously disruptive industry. And some automakers are going to fall by the wayside, if not all of them. Interesting. And then there's a piece in Bloomberg worth chatting about, uh, quoting a well-known machine learning researcher as saying the way to get self-driving cars on the streets sooner is to teach pedestrians to behave less erratically. Well, sure, of course, uh, that would be easy. Uh, and, 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 but um, there, there's some amount of practicality in that. Um, as I, as I point out in, in smart driving cars, if you look, if, if we look at how pedestrians behave in the, uh, in a horse and buggy era, uh, pedestrians today are behaving substantially differently in the, in the, uh, conventional automobile era. Uh, and there are elements of the conventional automobile era uh, that don't even permit pedestrians. Uh, interstate highways, for example. Uh, and as I point out in, in, uh, in, in smart driving cars, out here on Route 1, uh, you know, they put up a, a fence on top of the New Jersey barrier that, that, that separates the, the north from the southbound lanes, uh, to make sure that pedestrians go, don't go running from the uh, tire store to the uh, McDonald's on the other side of, of the road, because otherwise uh, their chances of making it across there without getting crushed is essentially zero. So, the, so you know, we, we've done things to basically force pedestrians 
to to behave or to establish rules of the road, not only for the conventional automobile, but also for bicyclists, for motorcyclists, uh, for trucks, and for pedestrians. And as we as we go to a, a driverless world where vehicles will not necessarily have anybody in them, uh, we will have to adjust. And, and um, in a sense, um, uh, how we get people to adjust, um, uh, hopefully they will realize that it's in their best interest to adjust. Um, or, you know, some people are probably going to get hurt. And, uh, you know, you, you, you won't be able to just jump out in front of a driverless vehicle and uh, not get crushed because there are lots of physics and, and, you know, Newton's not going away. And so you'll get run over. Uh, so you want to behave that way, behave that way. You can behave that way now. You can go out in Route 1, jump in front of a car. Okay, you die. Great. Uh, what have you proven? Um, so I, I think that uh, and there's going to be a certain amount of education that's going to go on, and there's going to be a negotiation, and we're going to evolve so that, uh, so that people behave. Uh, but uh, again, uh, having everybody behave is is an objective here. Everybody won't, and so because everybody won't, uh, some people will get hurt, and we'll have to be able to deal with it. Um, uh, that's that's life. That's what being human is all about. Unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, the the uh, the public though doesn't seem to deal with with accidents that are caused by an autonomous vehicle the same way they would as if, if there was a, a driver behind the wheel. Well, maybe, maybe not. And, 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 and of course they don't. And, and, uh, and of course uh, the, the Uber crash in Arizona teaches us that, uh, that, uh, you know, I, I think uh, from what I know of it, that uh, if that, uh, if that had not been an automated vehicle, uh, that it would have been a normal vehicle with a normal driver paying attention, driving down that road. Uh, unfortunately, Elaine Hersberg probably would, wouldn't, I don't know, uh, there would still been the crash, I think. Uh, the lighting and so on, at least from the information that's been put out to the public, or to me, without looking at it in great detail, seemed to have been such that um, that crash would have been unavoidable. Um, uh, and I think that was the original police uh, uh, report reaction to it, um, uh, considering that uh, you know that it was that it would have been a conventional vehicle, but it wasn't a conventional vehicle, and this vehicle had sensors on it that are better than us, and in fact, it saw her six seconds before it hit her, and so therefore, in that these systems are in fact better than us. And, and so they should be able to, avoid, they should, they'll, they'll need to avoid many of the crashes that otherwise we wouldn't have avoided. And that's their value. In the crashes that still occur, then they better have done all they can do, all, you know, a substantial amount of what they can do to avoid that crash. 
the failure in the Arizona case was that Uber had turned off the automated emergency braking system that would have, by all accounts, and even Volvo, I think, has come out, or not Volvo, um, who was it the last week that came out and, and said it? Now, I forgot, maybe it was Volvo, I forgot who it was. But said that they would have stopped. Or IIHS came out in, in, after the testing of the Volvo automated emergency braking system. David Zuby came out, I think, or at least was quoted as saying that the, that system uh, would have would have stopped. And and so um, uh, that that is a failure of the design. Uh, but let's fix that. Let's not turn off the automated emergency braking system. And let's make the automated emergency braking system not have false alarms or maybe have such rare false alarm. And when it does have a false alarm, it doesn't just slam on the brakes and then get rear-ended by everybody. Does it in a, in a graceful way such that, uh, okay, uh, it continues to uh, survey the situation and at some point says, oh, my goodness, uh, that was a false alarm. Uh, let me take my foot off the brake and hit the gas. And, and so if, if one does that, then, in fact, um, these systems are enormously safe. If somebody jumps out in front of, uh, in front of it and the, the brakes are applied and it still smashes into them and unfortunately causes, uh, you know, um, uh, a crash, then that's not their fault. Uh, that's not the fault of the system. That's the fault of the person or the entity that jumped out in front. And um, and so um, um, then they're going they, they're going to or they should be given a pass. Uh, I drove uh, I drove from uh, from Maine uh, to Princeton this morning. Uh, got up at three thirty in the morning. Left at four. And out there on the roads of Maine, I was basically in a two lane roads driving down the middle of the road. There's nobody coming the other way. Uh, why? Because I wanted to give myself as much time in case a deer jumped out from one side or the other. Uh, so that I, you know, um, uh, not uh, so that I have an equal opportunity to, to try to uh, see him soon enough or uh, her soon enough uh, to slam on the brakes. Um, uh, but, you know, in, in situations that they, if the deer jumps out in front of you, uh, you slam on the brakes. Um, uh, Newton says, oh, sorry, uh, don't have enough friction force to keep you from hitting it, and you hit it. But, and, you know, uh, that stuff happens, and, and uh, we need to move on. Well, finally, Alan, uh, the news that Kroger is testing driverless cars for grocery deliveries in a Phoenix suburb. That sounds familiar. I guess the the problem here is the driverless vehicle they're talking about is two people in the front seat. Right. It, it was like when Uber went out in Pittsburgh with driverless vehicles and they had two people in it. I think it's fine to go out and collect some data and do that um, and to uh, actually do the interaction uh, with the people that's making it happen. Uh, but in a sense, to, to do it in a vehicle that has all the sensors on it, uh, good, yes, um, fine, um, I don't know. Um, 
Um, I don't know that it moves the ball all that much. It's nice promotional material. It's nice, uh, you know, eye candy. It, you know, it puts Kroger in there and gives them good, you know, public relations and so on. Uh, but um, but I think it, it doesn't, um, I'm, I'm happy for them. What will be the real test is when, as Waymo has done in, in Phoenix, you know, when they take those those people out of the car and have that delivery made uh, to, to the home and, uh, and without anybody in the vehicle. And as we've also discussed here in, in the podcast, uh, uh, I think there's a great opportunity to do goods delivery to homes uh, from um, uh sources like the grocery store or hardware store or whatever, or a Amazon um, um, warehouse. Um, uh, but to do that uh, in the middle of the night, um, you know, at four o'clock this morning, driving on main roads, there's nobody else out there. The infrastructure is unused. And to then utilize it at that time to do goods movement uh, is is an enormous opportunity. Uh, why don't we do more of it? Probably until about uh, five o'clock in the morning, the most vehicles that encountered were trucks uh, with truck drivers out there. Why? Because they those that can do it at that time do do it because then they uh, they don't have to deal with the congestion of all the other cars out there. Uh, but uh, but it's kind of tough getting people to work the night shift and so on and so forth, and that's not the best quality of life for the for the workers. But if these are driverless vehicles, guess what? The algorithm doesn't care what time of the day it is, and so it can be out there doing it. And uh, I think it's just a, a great opportunity that exists, and then we'll see if it happens. I think Kroger maybe should try it so that they have your fresh milk and your berries and your and your cereal right there on your front porch as you get up in the morning. I mean, it, it'll be like living in Brooklyn in, in the uh, in, uh, 19th uh, century you know, when when the, when the uh, horse car uh, delivery uh, folks were out there, you know, in the early morning uh, putting fresh milk on your on your doorstep. In that know. little metal box. In the metal box that, that kept it, that was insulated. Um, and, uh, and so now we'll have an insulated Amazon box or something. I don't know. They'll do it. That's where the great opportunity is, I think. But uh, we'll see how it evolves. Now, they're saying their, their intent is to remove the humans from the vehicles sometime this fall. People, by the way, customers are going to be charged $6 for the grocery deliveries. That's awfully inexpensive. And, and, and geez, you, you know, if you bring me my stuff for six bucks, and, uh, you know, I guess, I guess I'll do it. Great. <laughs> well, on that note, it is time to bag this edition of the podcast. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, on iTunes, Google Play, and more, even on your Amazon Alexa. Look for my tech reports at textonation.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for taking the time to listen. Have a great remaining two weeks of summer.